Welcome to our Friday Five Live podcast hosted by Meg Foster. Meg has spent 20 years in higher education focused on student success initiatives and working in areas such as orientation, faculty development, online learning, student leadership, and first-year initiatives. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy New Year. Um, We are just absolutely delighted to be here today with Dr. Pinky Stewart kicking us off for 2022. And this is our third season um, of Friday Five Live. So um, thank you, Pinky, for for being with us today and being our guest. Um, Just as some housekeeping reminders to folks as you're joining us, Angelica asked the question about being emailed presentation materials. Um, If you are a GoToKnowledge member, this will be available on your dashboard. Um, Otherwise, you will get Um, an email um, with um, our recording from today. And as a reminder, this is a podcast, so it's available on all podcasting channels. So if you want to share this content with um, any, anyone, um, you can recommend that. I think we pair nicely with a good walk or a cup of tea or coffee um, during this season of very cold weather. Um, So so welcome everyone. Um, If you do have questions and and Shawana already kicked us off with a really great question that we will weave into our conversation today, um, please, use the chat functionality to um, pose your questions. Um, There's never a wrong time to post the question. Um, And as we kind of have natural pauses um, in our conversation today, we'll make sure that uh, we weave those in. So, um, and just as a reminder, there is closed captioning available um, for those who that might be helpful as well. So um, we are thrilled to have with us today, Dr. Pinky Stewart. Um, Dr. Stewart has had an extensive career um, in higher education, doing a lot of work um, with TRIO students, which is sort of um, the focus kind of of our conversation today. Um, and, you know, you're a counseling psychologist, a consultant, you've done professional development training, employee engagement expert. All of these things are just so, I, I feel like we've hit on these major themes just in, um, in the work that you've done that we're all facing now, right? How are we taking care of our students? Um, Timely MD did a survey last week where mental health concerns are the top of, of, of our college students' minds. Um, we're also worried about folks leaving higher education. You know, we're seeing um, more and more um, staff openings, people going on to, to other careers. So um, Pinky, you just hit everything. Um, really in this breadth of, of your career. Um, so we are gonna really focus today, as I mentioned, I've provided always some questions for, for our presenter, but don't hesitate, fold your questions into using that chat. Um, Shawana, don't worry, we will get to your terrific question um, also. So Pinky, I just wanna say thank you for You're being welcome. with us. And sharing your knowledge and your background. You know, we've, we've really spent a lot of this academic year um, in Friday Five Lives talking about um, the population of students that I think, and we're seeing this across, you know, research in in higher education. You know, we know our enrollment numbers are down, um, particularly in the community college, particularly undergraduate students. Um, We are also seeing that the population that's not coming to college are often kind of our, our under-resourced, um, and maybe there's some better language you can help me find there. Um, students are, are students of color, are students of low socioeconomic background. Um, really those students who are identified for, for our TRIO programs. Um, so just to kind of kick us off, we'd love to kind of know your background. You've had this extensive one in higher education and, and sort of how you come to this work um, with the student populations that you've served. Okay, thank you. And 
Welcome, everybody, by the way. My background basically extends to before I began my higher education journey, first as a student, I came from a family of helpers. And so my mother was also a music teacher as well. So growing up in that kind of background, I knew I was going to do something to help people. And I ended up landing in education. Um, I was really interested and studied applied behavioral uh, science, uh, counseling, and psychology. And I have those, those degrees in, the, in that, that particular area. So I hit upon TRIO sort of by accident. I was a counselor and I, I saw a position at a community college and they wanted a counselor. Okay, that's me. I can do that. And in applying, it was a counselor for a TRIO program. I had never even heard of TRIO before that. But when I did my research, I really uh, connected with the mission of TRIO programs and helping students who were first-generation, low-income, disabled. So I started that work in 1992. <laughs> so it, it just evolved. And um, I was really vested in really helping students to find their way, connecting them with resources, uh, sometimes resources that the university or the college didn't even have, in order to help those students connect to the tools that they needed to be successful, but also getting to know the student and looking at those unique qualities that students had that sometimes those students didn't see it in themselves. And that's kind of what TRIO does. Um, the talent is already there. It just needs to be cultivated. So my background has always been involved with helping people, uh, in particular with TRIO, helping students of uh, various socioeconomic backgrounds and walks of life to find their place and find themselves and to help them to evolve and be successful in whatever it is that they were designed to do. I just love that, the, this philosophy of really, you know, the talents there is just how do you cultivate it and how do you help um, students really finding their place. And, um, you know, a big theme that we've talked about through through our podcasting conversations with other people is, is this idea of belonging. And I think more and more research is showing how important it is that our students have that sense of belonging um, in order to be able to, you know, stay enrolled, complete degrees, um, and, and those big goals, right, that we, we have for our students. So I'm going to sneak in an extra question here. Any in, in that work about helping students really find their place and cultivate their talent. I mean, belonging is a really complicated topic, but any, any advice you have for us, as, uh, especially as I'm looking at, you know, who, who is coming to our colleges, knowing that we've got, you know, populations that we're really focusing on, like adult learners and folks who've stopped out. And, and maybe that one of the reasons why they stopped out, right, was because they didn't feel like they belong. Um, and so, so to sneak one in on you, Pinky, real fast, what, any thoughts on that? Uh, yes, of course. Um, when it comes to helping students feel a sense of belonging, I think we as professionals as high, and institutions as well, we have to get to understand students, understand where students live. And I don't necessarily mean geographically, 
but what's the mindset of the student coming into a campus? Because entering um, post-secondary education can be very frightening and an uncomfortable experience for our students. So how can we help them best feel that we want them there and that we welcome them and that we appreciate them as individuals? And I think sometimes higher education institutions and professionals don't do that. They don't take the time to get to really build a relationship with students and understand a student. Once you get to understand a student, a student finds out that you're really genuinely interested in that person, then that is going to really help them feel like this is the place for me. This is where I belong, quote unquote. Um, Vincent Tinto calls it engagement. How are you going to engage students? And with me, I've usually, uh, in working with SSS programs, uh, TRIO programs, I, if possible, like to, in other programs as well, I like to get to know the student when that student maybe is in senior year of high school, for example, or junior year, and they're reaching out for information. I establish that rapport with that student, you know, asking students a question, what are your expectations? And I think that is a question that I ask students that just blows them away because a lot of times no one took the time to ask them what they expected. We're always telling them what we're going to do for them and what they need without really asking them what it is they expect. And every time I ask students that question, it's like, oh, my gosh, you're really interested in what I expect? Do I have an expectation? OK, you have something. So let's let's unpack that. Let's talk about that and let's develop that. Little things like that will help students feel like we really want them on our campus and we genuinely want them to succeed. I don't see that happen a lot. And, and I think you make such a, an incredibly important point too, because you know so, so much of the research I've read and, and Shawana is giving us a heart, yes, is is that students' expectations don't always line up with like faculty expectations, right? But if we never ask students what their expectations are, and, and I think we are very guilty of kind of assuming students are coming in the door knowing what the faculty expectations are of them. Um, so it, it I, and, and you're, you're, you're just so spot on. And this takes a lot of um, emotional time and energy, right, for our staff, that if I'm going to sit with you and get to know you and have this conversation with you about what your expectations are, that, that, that requires some people, like, and people are expensive. And, you know, we've seen these shifting priorities at our, at our institutions for lots of reasons. Um, in, in, wow. How did you all handle that as a team? Then does that, when because I'm thinking about the hundreds of students potentially that we're serving in, in SSS programs, for example, and I know often in, in kind of my limited knowledge, we are not able to serve everybody who's no. eligible for those programs at our institutions. So um, how did you handle that from a team perspective? Well, um, I will say this, and I will refer to a team that I had for about 14 years, and they called us the dream team on that campus. We just clicked. And it was because our staff had similar backgrounds to our students. So they actually knew and understood where students were coming from. Many of them had had similar experiences growing up as our students. 
we also had the heart for students and we wanted to see them succeed. So we would actually sit down sometimes as a team to discuss maybe a particular student, issues that student was having, needs that student had, and what resources that we could tap into or pull to actually help that student. So sometimes we did a team approach. Sometimes there were students who would come in and maybe they wanted to talk to the administrative professional because that's who that student connected with best. And my philosophy was, I don't have to be the head of stuff, you know? Whoever a student connects with, whether you're their advisor of record or not, if that student feels comfortable with you, that's, the, that's your student. You work with that student, not saying, well, no, you need to see Dr. Stewart because um, you're on her, her student list. No, we don't do that. We didn't do that sort of thing. And that, that really worked well for us. And we saw the results because of persistence, retention, graduation, GPA. Um, we exceeded institutional goals on an annual basis, semi-annual basis, because we really recognized that students needed us and, you know, whoever you're comfortable with, that's fine. So that was one of the things I think that really set us apart. We didn't take that type of clinical approach where um, you're assigned to this counselor or you're assigned to that person and you're on that person's roster and this is who you have to see. We didn't do it that way. And that was a big contributor to our, our success in working with students. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I really constantly say to my first year experience students. Like, I don't care who your person is. Find your person, faculty, staff member. It could be the wonderful lady who greets you when you come in the building at the info desk. Like, but you need to have your person who you feel like you can go to with whatever questions right arise and doesn't matter whatever the question is right but just I I mean my students have to do that as one of their assignments my person on campus is fill in the blank and this is how I contact them um I, I just love that pinky that that team approach um in in uh, Teresa's commented that she really loves that approach and I know that that's um uh, can be a very um you know depending on the number of students we have, that can be a very overwhelming, right, um, kind of way to approach student success. But I'm remembering that in back in my own background, I had the opportunity to kind of sit on a retention team at a, at a smaller institution where we had weekly meetings about these are our students who we're concerned about and how can we, you know, what's going to be the approach for each kind of individual student. And that was a really powerful experience. Um, and, and it also, you know, it was an opportunity to really show our students how very much we cared about them. Um, so I love that, Pinky, I love that. And I think that's a nice segue into this next question about kind of specific challenges that you see um, that are impacting. And, and, you know, we're talking TRIO students, but I, I think this fits a lot of our student populations this year, but this, this year, this academic year, and maybe even this semester, because I feel like this semester feels different than last semester, unfortunately. So, <laughs> not in a like not in a good way. And um, yeah. Well, um, some challenges, of course, funding and finances. That's always going to be a challenge for our students. Um, uh, some places are opening up, so there's 
still that apprehension about being on campus. Um, that's another challenge. Enrollment across the board is down. And for the populations that uh, TRIO professionals work with and other under-resourced uh, student programs, they have seen a drop in enrollment. So that's a challenge in itself. Uh, so I think that helping students, and you mentioned mental health, helping students to really navigate this whole pandemic era, and we're not out of the pandemic. We now have a new <laughs> variant. So there's a lot of apprehension. Uh, you're seeing things on social media, you're seeing things in uh, media, broadcast news, all of that about these, these um, viruses. So how are you gonna really help students to feel safe and okay? I think those are, are things that are important. I remember, I, and you we talked a little earlier before we got on here about um, rep webinars and remote presentations and all of that. And I remember I uh, did a presentation for students and staff about navigating remote work, remote learning. And there was a student who was a high school student, as a matter of fact, I think, or maybe a freshman, yeah, who was very depressed because of remote learning, being at home all day, not being able to connect with fellow classmates and all of that. And so I appreciated him for sharing that. And we talked a little bit about that. And I gave him some resources that he should tap into. And I found that during the pandemic, we're still in it, uh, mental health and self-care are very important things for students and students who are living in environments where they don't have that um, connectivity, um, whether they, and they don't maybe have internet access as necessary to do remote work, do homework and all of that. Those are things that I think students are still faced with this year uh, as challenges coming back into the campuses. Some campuses have opened up, some campuses have delayed the opening until the end of this month. And you know, there's a lot of uncertainty about that. So just helping students to feel safe and providing them with those um, resources, especially mental health services that they can tap into and letting them know it's okay to take advantage of those kinds of services because students are facing a lot of pressures uh, with the pandemic. Many households lost both incomes, if there were two incomes in the family, uh, there were students who were considered essential workers at grocery stores and things of that nature. They're being exposed every day to uncertain types of, of things that could do them harm. So I think just, just helping students to feel safe and knowing that we'll get through this, but how? <laughs> so, so I think that um, in addition to financing, we'll talk about that a little bit later, um, these are some challenges, helping students feel safe, um, sort of reducing the anxiety and the apprehension about being on campus and how they're going to keep up. No, and I, I, gosh, I mean, didn't we all think that we were going to be done having these discussions? Yeah, <laughs> it's still I mean, there. and we're still having them. And I, um, and I, I get the sense from the staff that I work with, you know, that they're they're beat up and exhausted. Um, and I, I 
sensing a lot of anxiety from the students. I'm, I'm curious, and I'd love for folks um, on our call to, to chat in what their plans are um, for this semester. Um, I know our, our the community college that I work at in Virginia did a remote start for the first two weeks, um, which is everyone can imagine is a really challenging thing to communicate um, out to people that, hey, we're not gonna be on campus, we're gonna be online. And um, definitely there were some students who were like, oh, not, a, not again. And that's the message I'm receiving very loudly, both from um, the community college students I work with, um, as well as from um, the, the high school and middle school students who live in my house. They can't, they, the thought of going back to remote learning for an unknown length of time is, is just, it's, it's crushing. Um, and, and we're navigating a lot of the, please tell me we won't be doing that. And I can't, I can't make any guarantees, right? Because we didn't know there'd be Omicron. We didn't know there'd be Delta. We, <laughs> we yeah, and we don't know what else is coming. And um, um, let me just uh, drop this in. When we're talking about our staff, and I saw somebody said we're all tired. Mm -hmm. Self-care is very important. And for um, managers, directors, and others, maybe doing some kind of rotation if possible. So folks can have a mental wellness day. You know, if you're on campus, do you need to be there four, four or five days a week? Or can we sort of do something so that you can take care of yourself? Because as professionals, if we're not healthy and we're not well, how are we going to best serve our students? We can't. Exactly, exactly. That's just so, so important. Um, well, and I think that's kind of a nice, you, you've mentioned some strategies, but, you know, we, we, we're seeing that our students are, um, they're, they're overwhelmed, they're continuing to deal with life and learning in a pandemic. Um, you know, you've mentioned the fact that many of our students may be working as essential workers. Um, I know I, I have a lot of students I teach, for example, who are CNAs, um, working in like um, nursing home situations. Um, and, and so I'm thinking about what are all the ways I can, I can continue to support, you know, those students. And, um, and, and, and this is a nice tie in to Shawana's question about students don't seem to want to participate in online programming, right? And I think we've all kind of seen that. I mean, it's no different really for faculty and staff, right? Uh, the first webinars that I did, you know, in the first weeks of the pandemic, I mean, we'd have like a thousand people on a call, right? What am I supposed to do with my time? I'll hop on a webinar and, you know, definitely um, we kind of laugh about how you, people would make sure they logged in 15 minutes early, you know, and now it's like, oh, that starts in five seconds being okay. Like I'm, I'm comfortable with this. I know how this works now. Um, so I would love, we love your ideas about how we can really, you know, help these, or help our students make a difference for our students. And maybe it's not doing some sort of, yeah, I don't know, on online programming, because that for many of us, and I'd be curious if other people have thoughts about programming that they're seeing working, or if they're seeing students not come to online options. Um, yeah. So thank you, Pinky. I kick that one to you. Okay. Um, and I'm seeing different questions and comments pop up. Um, it's interesting. I did a um, online event <laughs> two weeks ago, and I think maybe 25 or 30 students showed up for that. And 
it dealt with financial literacy. So sometimes the topic might be the key. And even sending out, and I, I advise directors to maybe poll your students and find out what they would like to hear some a presentation on. And I like to do interactive and engaging things. I don't like to do all the talking. I, I, and I tell students, I'll call you. You know, if you don't say something, I'm going to call you. And usually they'll volunteer. And even the ones that I call on, they have some valuable insights and, and contributions to make during those sessions. So maybe stopping to find out what the students would like to hear about or have a presentation on instead of just sitting and deciding, oh, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. Uh, so sometimes it depends on the students. It also depends on our expectations. And if we're saying things like, oh, they're not going to show up, you put that out there in the atmosphere, they're not. <laughs> and, you know, doing even little, sending out little email video promos to what's coming once the topic is decided on. You have to kind of talk it up and invest in that as well and, and build some excitement around it so that students will want to be a part of it. And one thing that I know, when you ask students for their input or to suggest a topic, they're going to make sure that their peers are there. They're going to tell them that. I don't see that happen a lot. We do too much planning without student input. I think that is so, so wise. Um, sometimes I know we're, we're guilty. I've certainly sat around tables where we're like, oh, yeah, you know, this is what the students want. And then you actually talk to them and it's like 180 degrees different from from what our, our focus is sitting at that table. So um, just some terrific advice. Um, have you found there any particular ways that you go about collecting that data? If that makes sense, like, is it a short survey? Is it a call? I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, this creating expectation, talking it up. Um, and, and somebody chatted in that they were having trouble getting um, students, even the most gung-ho students, um, to come to a virtual Saturday uh, Academy for um, upward bound high school students, you know, is it, and I'm, I'm sure Melinda's doing all of these things. Is it sending out that reminder text with some funny gif? We can't wait to see you. Maybe it's a gif. I don't know. I never say that right. According to my own kids. Um, but how, how are you getting that soliciting that feedback from students? I just ask them, <laughs> you know, okay. I, I'll see, I'll send an email I, I may send a text message for those that, you know, have that capability and they say it's okay to text. I'll do that. Sometimes I'll pick up the phone and call and then I'll make a nice little maybe 30 second promo video, you know, real upbeat mm -hmm. and all that and send it to all the students so that they see that and they respond every once in a while, you know, throw in a gift card or something if you, you know, answer a question correctly just oh. making it kind of festive and fun uh -huh. but rewarding for the students. But first and foremost, asking the students what it is that they are interested in and uh -huh. what is it they would like to know. So I, I think those are important. You can do a lot of different things. Um, we have Facebook, you know, so we engage students that way. We have Instagram um, using those social media outlets as well. You know, you have to find meet students where they are. And social media is one place that our students definitely are a lot sometimes, maybe too much, mm -hmm. but right. you know, that's where you find them. 
Yeah, and, and Shawana made that point as well. And kind of curious about how programs are navigating social media. So, um, and Melinda saying her students have kind of left social media. And I know I see that at home. Like, as I say, you know, I've got a 15 year old and, you know, Facebook is for like, you know, people are mother's age, right? Um, Instagram was kind of cool. And now it's on to the next thing. And um, I, I had a student tell me really that I just need to abandon my FYE resources because everything's on TikTok. Like I could just teach yeah. an entire course with content um, from TikTok. So, um, so is it, uh, do you have a TikTok channel? I think that's the word, um, you know, I'm thinking about uh, our folks on the call and you're, you're using that, right, to, to get, because those got to be short. They only let you have so much time um, to, to get messaging out to students. Um, all great ideas. Uh, Jamie shared that um, in the end of her semester survey, they asked students what they'd like for upcoming um, workshops. Um, and, and that's a, a great way to, to get at our students, um, you know, feedback, those opportunities. When we've got them in front of us, even, right? Just, we're, we're putting together um, our workshop schedule, what, what is it that you would like to, to see us do? I also want to draw attention to a, a comment that Kristen made, which I think is really important. She's, um, and Kristen, I hope I'm going to capture this correctly, about that students have connected with people on campus, but because of staff turnover, because of, you know, the great resignation, what have you, um, the, the person that those people identified with is now no longer there. And sometimes students feel very kind of, uh, and I, I've seen this too, um, you know, sort of betrayed, right? That like, well, you were my person and now you're not here anymore. Um, and, and that can be a very tender thing. We're, we've certainly seen that at our institution. Um, any advice on how to kind of help students um, bridge that transition time um, as we're making new connections to new people? Um, one thing that comes to mind, and, and I've had students who ex experienced that, where they had an advisor, for example, the advisor left the institution, um, the advisor's directory listing was still posted <laughs> on the institutional directory, it hadn't been changed, student has trying to contact that person not knowing that that person is no longer there. So I think from an institutional standpoint, they need to be real time in updating those directories when people leave, but also when your programs are responsible for students and you try to stay on top of who's no longer there, reaching out to the student to explain that that person is no longer there and how can you best help that student and I know I had a situation where I was being moved out of a particular area into somewhere else. So I personally reached out to all of my students to reassure them and let them know that I wasn't going to be their person any further. However, I did provide them with the contact person that would they would be connecting with. And, you know, sort of move back into a supporting role, uh, but giving them uh, a link or a connection to a new person, but also kind of being there when they were still contacting me to, to ask a question. So sort of making that transition a little uh, less frightening, for lack of a better word, for students. And a lot of times that just doesn't happen. People are gone. 
Nobody stops to think about the student. I mean, if you think about it from a consumer standpoint, if you are a customer at a particular brick and mortar store, for example, when something's been discontinued or when they have a new product, what happens? They send you a communication about that, right? We don't do that. And maybe we need to take that kind of approach so students won't just be uh, left hanging and not knowing what to do or where to turn. That's the directory piece, holy moly. I mean, I, I worked at an institution where, you know, the phone number would never be turned off. And for years, people would be contacting someone who wasn't there anymore. Um, and, you know, so just, yes, so important. And I love that idea of making that transit. Here, I'm, I'm handing off, you know, you're still cared about, we, we've got you. Um, but, but this change is happening because I mean, that, that happens, right? Um, staffing changes happen. I know we're seeing them kind of at a more uh, rapid rate, I think right now, but, and I'm, I'm handing off to you, but you're still cared about. I think it's that message of caring, but that is just so, so important. And, and that kind of brings me to, and, and maybe there are other trans strategies, but, and we've talked a little bit about listening to the needs and, and clearly your team was really great about um, listening to those needs. I'm kind of wondering, do you have any advice for us sitting from your perspective um, on how we can help our institutions kind of create this culture of listening to students? Um, was really amazed in September we had um, the university of um, Wisconsin, I think Milwaukee campus come and talk to us. Um, they have been featured in the Chronicle of Higher Ed about um, sort of taking um, their, their approach to this academic year um, and looking at it through sort of a lens of trauma-informed care. And it was such a fascinating conversation to hear from them what a cultural shift was occurring at the institution, right? Like um, really focusing on, on, on student and staff and faculty um, health, kind of putting that as the center um, and, then, and then building out from there. And so any advice, sometimes I know I feel like we're like, well, we, we listen in our unit, but how do we make that shift occur across our institution? Um, that's an excellent question. And I'll just refer to uh, another example. Um, I actually did a presentation for senior level managers at um, a university maybe two years ago, something like that. But I came to talk about institutional barriers. And I experienced it myself and because when we're having a orientations or uh, freshman meetups and things of that nature for prospective students and not really being student friendly or student warming. Institutions don't necessarily do the best job of that. And for one of the things that I observed is uh, maybe registration. That first day, group of students are coming in, they're registering for classes. And then at the end of that day, which is maybe a full day, and they may have been there from eight o'clock in the morning until three or four in the afternoon, and students leaving, 
with their parents or by themselves and saying they weren't coming back. That first encounter, a major encounter, really put a bad taste in their mouth. So let me look and see what the institution is doing to, to repel these students and repel their families. And I call it institutional barriers. For example, a um, student walks into an office. Um, there are a few chairs by the, you know, by the door. And then there's a little narrow space. Then there's this big high uh, counter. And behind that counter, you have uh, support professionals. And behind them, you have the offices of professionals. It looks more like a doctor's office. So that, that's not welcoming. So in that case, maybe the design, but the people who are there not acknowledging when people walk into the office, a simple, hello, hi, may I help you? That's not being done. Oh, I'm typing something just a minute. Let me finish this without really acknowledging that this person is there or someone comes in, they are lost. They can't find a department. They can't find a person. Um, you'll say, well, I don't know. That's not the right answer. That's never the right answer for a student. Don't tell a student, whether it's on the phone, whether it's by email, don't ever say you don't know. Say, I don't know, but let me find out or let me see how I can help you. People just pass it off. And it's more frustrating when you see students and parents roaming around an institution, they've been sent to this department, they've been sent to that department, when just taking a little bit of time to pick up the phone or key in something to find the right place or find what that person or that student needs. Doesn't take a lot of effort, but for some people it's a bother. And those are things that institutions do poorly at. Orientations, you, you have a stream of people, I call it a cattle call, where you have the financial aid person doing a five or 10 minute speech about what they do. You have the undergraduate admissions talking about what they do. And then you see students like this or theirs, you've lost them because they don't wanna hear your speech. You can talk a little bit, but engage them. Find out what they need. What are they there for? What are they expecting? These are things that institutions don't do well. And I actually did a presentation about the institutional barriers. And I pointed those things out to that senior leadership team. And they were really, really surprised that that was them. And even the president of the institution got behind that and said, these are things we need to do. If you're leaving an office, you're going to be gone for several hours and your door is open. There's nobody there. It's a ghost town. Why not put up a sign saying we'll be back at this time? Or if you need assistance, go to this office or call this number or something, nothing. So these are just little things that happen that institutions don't do well. And I'm gonna go out here on this one, designing your institution and services for a particular group of people and ignoring everybody else. And that is something that I really don't like. I see too much of institutional print media, websites and all of that, for example, touting diversity and how they appreciate and celebrate it. No, you don't. Because when a student comes to campus, they don't necessarily see anybody that looks like them or that they can connect with or that they can, you know, who has a similar experience. 
that doesn't always happen. Or we're catering to the money pot group at the institution and kind of ignoring other students. And I've heard students complain about those sorts of things and say, well, there's nothing here for me. I'm not with that group. So what are they going to do for me? How are they going to help me? How are they going to understand me? Those are things, and this is my soapbox, those are things that I think institutions do not do well. And it all boils down to really getting to know students, understanding where students are in this day and age, the challenge that, challenges that they face, and how we can address those challenges and help those students. How can we best service them? I don't uh -huh. see that happening a lot. Uh-huh. And I think when, when you're talking about listening to our students, we also have to remember, because I've sat in those leadership team meetings, right, at those, at that, those tables in those boardrooms, we, we also have to listen to the people who are working intimately with our students yes. because they have a finger on that pulse and um, an understanding there of how students are perceiving our institutions, of the barriers our students are experiencing, because a lot of times they're walking them through that. Um, and, and we really um, need to make sure that we're listening to to those voices, voices as well um, at our institution. I, you know, I think sometimes we're still guilty in, in the hierarchy of schools that I've worked at of um, not valuing the, the, the younger people on our staff, right? Well, they just don't have much experience or what have you, but they're often the people who are working the most closely with our students. Um, and so, you know, making sure that, that we're hearing those voices as well. And I was thinking as you were talking through, you know, our, orientation programming and that was something that you know I, um, I spent a lot of my life um, working on thinking about engaging how we're creating um, one of the things that I, I think student services is now really coming to is using some of those best practices from teaching right like our orientation experiences should be full of active learning not I'm passively sitting here listening to somebody speak but you're using engagement and I'm just kind of putting a little bit of a pedagogical twist on it. I mean, that's really active learning. So how are we creating in our programming these opportunities for our students to actively learn and not just passively sit there and be awash in information? Um, and, I, and I love this piece about how are our students coming to campus? What do those barriers look like? Are they seeing that there are people who can relate to them, that they can relate to, that can relate to them um, on, on their campuses. All of that, it, it really becomes this culture of care, right? So that the listening web, if you have, becomes rather full circle where, where our staff are listening to our students and our team is listening to our staff and then it, it just circles back. Um, Pinky, that sounds wonderful. Can uh, have it's it's not easy the, this work it's not easy um, but it it really can be profoundly um, you know and I I think we've all had these opportunities you talked about your dream team right and I as we have these moments when I, I feel Melinda who was sharing that they've had folks leave their campus right who had been part of this team and that's very painful um, sometimes it's helpful to remember 
those parts of dream teams that you have been on, right? It kind of um, keeps you going. Um, Yolanda's made a comment about um, students who go with the idea of dropping out of college, maybe first um, dropping out of college and college officials not even asking them why. Um, and and I, I think that, you know, we do have, as we're thinking about the students who were concerned about maybe not coming to our campuses this year, um, how, how do we get them, it, that goes back to that conversation about expectations. What are your expectations? We welcome you, we're glad you're here. We're not starting with a, you can always leave. Does that make, like, the, the we don't want you to leave. We want you to be firmly here as part of our community and you're a valued member of it. Um, I just, I, I really love that. Piggy, this is hard work we're doing. I, th I think sometimes we forget it's okay to say that. It is, it is hard work. And you know, but I may be a little bit different animal. I've never burned out on that work mm -hmm. <laughs> because uh, for me, I thoroughly enjoy helping people. It's at the core of who I am. So I get um, energized when I'm trying to work on ways to help a student. It, it just energizes me. So I've not personally experienced the burnout. However, I do know people who have. And that's why I'm also a proponent for self-care, you know, to get on the front end of it before you get to that point that you're burned out. Uh, let's put some things in place. So, you know, maybe we'll all go out to a nice um, lunch or dinner, my treat, <laughs> you know, and just kind of relax. Uh, so building things like that in are important for our staff. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so, you know, that, those types of things are, are really important uh, so that folks don't burn out on that or don't yeah. leave. And someone made a comment about um, students leaving. And I want to ask the audience this question. When students stop out, or maybe that student came to an orientation, didn't return, do you follow up with that student mm -hmm. to find out why or what can we do to, to pull you back in or, or what, you know, what do you need? I find that sometimes institutions mm. don't even bother. You know, they're gone. There's nothing in place. Um, I was at a particular institution where um, I asked, um, what do you do when students stop out or drop out? All the, where, Do you have an exit survey or anything of that nature? Mm -hmm. It was an exit survey for graduates. Well, heck, they've graduated. You've done your job with them. Right. Why is there no exit survey for those students who drop out and, you know, we don't hear from them? Mm -hmm. What kind of follow-up do you have in place for that? And in that particular case, I worked with someone to design huh. an actual instrument that was an exit survey for those who were coming in saying, I'm thinking about leaving. I don't feel comfortable here or whatever. Huh. We can work with you here. And there's different uh, flow charts, different ways to go. If it's financial, huh. this is what we can do. If it's emotional, this is what we can do. Design that instrument so that it was also a retention tool but if someone had to truly leave, it was also an exit. And then we can follow up with you. Perhaps this was a semester that you had to drop out, but we're going to keep in contact because right. we want you to come back next semester in the future. 
We're going to keep that, that communication open and flowing. And, you know, institutions don't always do that. And I was just blown away. Don't you want to know when you're talking about retention and retention should be a number one priority on any, inst- any college or university campus, retention should be a priority. Why are you not interested in finding out why that student left uh-huh. and what you can do to provide the resources and services to get that student back on campus and fully engaged in learning? And that doesn't always happen. Yeah, yeah. And Melinda made a good point that, um, that you know, sometimes by the time the student has actually physically left us, they've been gone mentally for a while. And so you make a good point that how can we connect students, um, you know, to resources? And again, if they, if, if we do that work early on, right, mm-hmm. what are your expectations? Identifying your person on campus and we're continuing that connection. Hopefully we can catch them before the mental checkout um, process has already been resolved. This has been, I, I feel like we've, we've, um, we've exhausted our time, Pinky. It, it always wow. goes fast. I know, I know. Um, and, and this has just been such, I think, an important opportunity to kind of reflect on where have we been and where are we going? And, and what can we do this semester um, to, to really support our students? You know, most of us have started school in the last week or so, or maybe it's next week. And um, thinking about how are we listening to our students? Um, how are we demonstrating our care for them? And then also making sure we're taking care of ourselves. I think now more than ever, um, we really, really don't, you know, I'm gonna absolve you of all guilt, you, you need to take care of yourself because if you can't do that, then then it's so much harder to care for those other students. So um, Pinky, thank you just for your advocacy, um, for your care, for your wise counsel um, today. We are so, so grateful um, to you. If anyone has you know other questions, don't hesitate. We'll, you can put them in the chat. We'll make sure um, that Pinky gets those. Thank you so much for listening today. Oh, it's um, Friday. We will be back um, in February um, to talk some leadership strategies, which might be a great thing for us as we um, continue in this strange semester of COVID learning. Um, so please do join us in February. And remember, this is podcast on all podcast stations. So if you want to share it with a colleague or a friend or enjoy um, rehearing Pinky and I chat over a cup of tea or a walk um, as you do some of that self-care, feel free to do so. Pinky, thank you so much. I hope everyone has a thank wonderful you. weekend. Find time for rest and renewal and take care, friends. Bye. Friday Five Live is brought to you by Innovative Educators. Innovative Educators offers six online services for your onboarding support and training needs. Visit us at innovativeeducators.org to see how we can support your student success initiatives.